podcast brought to you by Pile Style Events. I'm Dennis Junk. With me, as always, is my lovely assistant, Alicia Pyle. Hi there. Actually, I'm probably the not so lovely assistant. <laughs> and we're talking to Mike Patterson today. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in Fort Wayne who's interested at all in jazz or music probably knows who Mike Patterson is, but uh, we're going to be asking him a little bit about the, is it the Big Apple Jazz Club Series? We were trying to figure out the arrangement of the words there. That'll do. I think that covers whatever, you know? (laughs) All right. So first, Mike, tell us a little bit about the the series, and then we'll go, we'll circle back and talk a little bit about how you got involved and then your own music background, and we'll go from there. So what's... What is it? Yeah. Uh, It's a series that was in by Ketu Olatawa, who's a he's a local artist, he's a writer, he's an extraordinary poet, he's a musician. And Ketu's originally from New York, and what he wanted to do was bring a different kind of a flavor to the scene here. One of the things that Ketu said he noticed that there were a lot of great venues here, a lot of places, particularly some of the supper clubs here and nightclubs here, are really, really nice. But one of the things that he said that he missed from New York was going to a club where the music was the foremost thing. Because when you're in a, in a lot of places, a lot of uh, the commerce is about making sure that people get fine food and you want to have drinks and things like that. And that pays the bills and it's great. But a lot of times it means that you might have to, I don't want to say be, rest- be restrained, but you have to be conscious that there are other things going on and you have to make sure that what you do as a musician isn't intrusive. And what K2 wanted to do was give an opportunity for people to, to come in and he could say, what would, you, what would you play if you could just try something and you didn't have to worry about whether it was going to be liked or whether it was popular, but just something you wanted to try? Because, you know, he, he knew about the loft era in New York where musicians had a place, it was kind of a laboratory, mm-hmm. where they could come in and say, you know, I really want to try this. And if it works, fine. If it doesn't, doesn't. And there was no penalty for it. You know, where the club would say, you know what? You drove all of our customers away. Tonight. <laughs> Don't play that stuff Yeah, yet. right. So, so this was kind of a thing where we advertise that you may or may not like this particular thing or you may not necessarily get it, but here's an opportunity to come and explore some things that musicians do that, isn't always seen by the public. So the audiences that we tend to attract are audiences that come in and, you know, they're willing to just sit there and listen. And they may say, you know what, uh, that was great. And they may say, you know, I don't know about that. Yeah. But they come back because they know that that's the purpose of the series is to uh, see what musicians do. And they're there for the music. They're not there for drinks and food, and then the music is in the background. So right, they right. don't know what they're going to get, so that's a cool idea. I, <laughs> I, know, I saw the drinks and food in the background. Yeah, it, it is there. back there. We, yeah. we, do, uh, we do have it like CS3 would come in and do the bar, and we had um, Black Sea Vegans that would come in. Jay, who did, does like chakra massages. But the, the thing is that all of that occurs in the middle of it. Like the format is usually a one hour, one hour to one hour and 15 minute set. And then a 30 minute break so people can socialize, they can drink, they can get a massage, they can uh, get some food. And then when the music starts and they can go back and do that. So he, he kind of set it up with a format where people can do those things, but they don't have to like sit there and try to order a drink while they're trying to listen to the music yeah. and that type of thing. And 
the people who are serving them have to try to negotiate through a lot of people moving around. I was under the impression, too, when we did our show, there was it in March, or no, May, for Mother's Day. People that came knew what was going on. They knew what to do. They knew to sit there and enjoy and absorb and, and then to the mingling part. Because I was like, what is he talking about? People are going to mingle in the middle and they're not going to talk. Like, that's never going to happen. But it seemed like your, um, your patrons understood that really well and they were ready for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the Prepared last... Prepared audience. Uh, absolutely. You could call it. Like the last one we did, Al Parr. And he was going to bring uh, his bigger band with a lot of his original stuff. But, you know, I had a lot of personal things going on, like a marriage, a birth in the family, some other things going on. And he said, you know, I, I just need to kind of relax. So Al came in and he brought a, a book from what they call the Anderson Project, which is where a group of musicians who kind of select musicians, as a matter of fact, have been seeking out older music from the beginning of the ninth, the 20th century and some of it probably going back to the late 19th century and collecting this music and digitizing it. Wow. And there's a book, you know, and you, but the only people who have access to the books are people who contributed to this project and Al did. So Al came in and, you know, he deliberately didn't tell Jim Steele or me, we both played with him, what we were going to do. And he says, and he, you know, so Al sat down and he talked to the audience through it and he took a lot of this early stuff from, that became Dixieland music and just say, okay, we're going to play this. But he explained each thing and the audience was just thrilled. They were like, oh, we really love listening to that guy talk. He plays great, but we really you know he had good he had great stories and he had a very deep historic perspective on the music so it's kind of like people can do that some people choose not to do that al's real into that stuff so you know we're like yeah man you want to sit down and talk to people about this music it's an Fantastic. educational thing yeah Absolutely. definitely it was a process Absolutely. i felt uncomfortable sharing even the day that we played you know when you played it, it was fun yeah. to talk about what it's like to be in the rhythm section and what's that feel like and what are we doing what's the purpose and you know people just hear the finished product they don't know what's going on sometimes and for some of us who aren't music experts yeah it's like it's if you insight. want to give us the context for that it might help us enjoy it a little bit more and get into it a little bit more it's, I mean we know if it sounds good to us or not but then beyond that you can just have like a deeper appreciation of it so how did you get involved with the Big Apple Jazz series how did you meet K2 oh wow oh my yeah. gosh you, you want the you want the full <laughs> story of how I met him well I remember you mentioning something about him being a mentor and he, yeah he was a mentor I met him uh, um, when I was working in the uh, mayor's office, okay. and he happened to be working at the New Sentinel because he came here to work with a Night Ritter paper originally. And, you know, when we finally met, we just found out we had a lot of things in common, interested in a lot of cultural things. And so he, you know, he ended up being a mentor. He's the person that really taught me how to write. He got me involved in a lot of different things. He's really interested in African music. And through him, I got an opportunity to uh, play and learn from people from Africa who were like world-renowned, like Mori Kabo Kuyate, a uh, chorus player. And as a matter of fact, when K2 brought him here for the Three Rivers Djembe Ensemble series, Mori Kabo hung out at my house during the day, you know, to kind of get away. And he actually sat in my living room. I was living over in Lafayette Esplanade, and I've got like a bunch of recordings that have never been released. You know, this guy, great world-renowned choral player, just sitting there and said, oh, hey, can you record this? And, you know, I just gave it to him. And I'm not sure he released it commercially, but it was just things that he wanted to record. So he sat in my, he was sitting in the living room and just recorded stuff. So That's amazing. I've gotten to know people like that. There's a guy who started the Third World Press, Akimana Buti, who's like another world-renowned poet. MK2 brought hockey here. 
So I got a chance to meet Haki Manabuti. As a matter of fact, I got a, to read a poem for Haki, and it was like, he asked me for a copy of it, which just blew me away, you know, that here's this guy that uh, is a legend, and he goes, hey, can I get a copy of that? It was just, it was thrilling to be able to do that. But I, I got to meet these people through K2. A lot of people knew him initially as a journalist here, but what they don't know about him is that his undergrad degree is in theater. So he worked off Broadway. I went to New York uh, one time with him and um, met some actors and directors that were part of a Harlem theater group that were just incredible people. He still has those connections because one of the Big Apple Jazz Series concerts we did was with Joe Daly and his tuba trio. That's right, you were telling us about this after rehearsal one night. One of the K2's collaborators in New York from those days heard about what he was doing and said, you know, Joe Daly's a friend of mine and he's traveling. Maybe we can get Joe to stop. And that's how we got Joseph Daly, who is a legend, who had two legends playing with him, you know. It was just incredible. The way you speak about him, that's why I asked, you know, because I know Dennis is asking you, how did this get started? And I knew it had to do with your relationship with K2. And and just meeting him, even uh, when we played for you guys, was like, hey, this is the guy Mike is always talking about. It was really fun to play. So I'll stop here. We were talking about how Al can tell stories. And it's like, I I don't know anything about music, but I I I was telling Mike, this was what Saturday when we were at the judge's house. Sometimes Mike will go off and tell stories about people who influenced you or inspired you. And it's not just about jazz. I mean, it's, it's about how to how to be creative, how to improvise. And it's like, I'm listening to it. And it's like, man, that's, that's like really profound. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Even though I don't play music, it's somehow it means something to me. I'm like, man, I can just sit here and listen to these stories all day. And it's these, these people that you work with. And it's... Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, and, and with K2, and even when I started, music has always been more of a metaphor for me. It's it's a means of communication, but it's it's life stories. When Joseph Daly came here, like I said, he had two legends with him. He brought Warren Smith, who's like a legendary drummer. And there's an interesting story about that. And I'll get to it. Scott Robinson, who's like this world-renowned woodwind player. who's like Ed Renz came in and Ed, you know, a lot of people would know this guy because you have to be, you know, a certain type of music. And Ed walks in, he goes, that's Scott Robinson. <laughs> He's like blown away. But um, one of the guys who started the loft idea in the 70s in New York was the legendary late Sam Rivers, who was known for like free jazz, avant-garde jazz, third string music, which is kind of like a mix of uh, classical jazz. And both Joe and Warren played for Sam Rivers. So it was kind of weird that, you know, we're doing this thing that's kind of based on that idea. And then we get two of these guys in this band were on that scene when it was developing. Well, that's cool. Yeah, and it, it was weird. It was like strange. I'm like, that's kind of like maybe my favorite kind of music when it comes to jazz. And <clears> at <throat> one point I was saying, oh my gosh, I'm standing on the stage with these guys. That's you so know? cool. Like, freaking yeah. out like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> so, but it, it was great. And they were really, really great. Warren in particular, who... And like I said, he's a legend in the jazz circles, but that's Warren Smith playing on all those Aretha Franklin records too. Yeah. And he just, in just a few words, he said a lot of things to me that just opened me up and just gave me this creativity, you know, a creative burst. But those are the kind of people K2 knows. He, I've collaborated with him and George Calamaris. I know. I don't know if you know George. George is yeah, creative cool. writing yeah. or poetry. Yeah, George. George is like poet laureate of Indiana. A few years back for two years, and you'd recognize him. He's got the crazy hair. Yeah, George. He's, he's always doing readings at like High yeah, Brothers. High Brothers, but you know, and I mean, he's here. George is a heavyweight, and you know, Kate. I, I met people like George. George's wife, Marianne Kane, is a novelist. 
And I met all these people through K2. That's neat. And then, so did you develop a series with him? How did this come about? Uh, you know, somebody commissioned he, this. He kind of came and said, "Hey, man, this is what I'm gonna do. I need you to do this." <laughs> okay, so sounds like a good idea. Ago. So, and that's what happened. And, and he Here's had, the idea to make it work. Yeah, yeah. He he kind of asked me to like recruit people, and he wanted me to recruit people that had some different things who did original music, like Jim Steele. One of the reasons that we wanted you, Alicia, is because like he's well aware that number one, women unfortunately don't get properly represented in the arts. I'm sure you've never dealt with that. Not really. Yeah. I'm not going to like ruin all the feminist bubbles, but I really haven't. You know, I'm kind of a loud one though. But yeah, but you know, but, but the other From thing too is, family. right, you know, <laughs> so. but it's, and you know, and I played with a lot of uh, women, particularly singers, you know, and I'm I can say, instrumentalist too, it's different. Well, it, it yeah. is different, but I, but I can see that, you know, I hate to say it, some of my colleagues are just not the nicest people when it comes to that. But the other thing was that he really was enamored with your fusion of classical and jazz, you know, and Afro-Cuban in particular. He was like, nah, man, we got we to gotta get her to do that. Oh, I need to play more of that for you guys. Right, right, yeah. exactly. That's what, saying. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying. Oh, no. Saying, oh, play, play this. We did a couple originals <laughs> that day, but we did. I, I didn't know how, how much do you guys wanted us to uh, relate. You know, so. Well, and, and that was the thing. It, yeah. The point of it is that you don't have to. We okay. don't care. And okay. the audience, that audience really doesn't, you know, that's not their primary thing. They want to know who you are. So, you know, that it's almost like they said, play me the music that you play if you can play anything you wanted to play. It's real open-ended. And that's that's what we set out to do. That's lovely. So I have to point this out. Alicia always calls you her jazz dad. It's you and Eric. You and Eric are her jazz dad. Jazz so I met Michael because he was playing with APQ, which is the Alicia Pyle Quartet. So how did you two... Michael's actually known as the professor. The professor. The professor. And I like that. That's kind of of a joke. I like it. No. Uh, What happened was that... um, Oh, God. Eric, Eric, you know, Eric, Eric and I just really tight. So we played together for years. And Eric called me one time. He said he had this interesting gig. So it used to be um, Calvary Third Presbyterian... yeah. Third Presbyterian Church on... It's uh, off Anthony. Off of Anthony. And they had a series on Saturdays where they did a jazz church service with Joe Fields, who was just a lovely guy. He's cool. Uh, so a lot of the times it was Eric Dave Streeter. Oh, was uh, exactly. And we were doing that. And at some point he goes, hey, man, I'm not going to be there. You know, I got this... I got this young piano player, man, who's getting into jazz. You know, you'll enjoy playing with her. Oh, and, God, and so I didn't know anything. He started bringing her there. And it was like, I can remember Dave and I just said, ah, don't worry about it. Just play. It'll be fine, you know. <laughs> and oh, man. That's how you learn. You know, that's how you learn. I mean, I, I've had some interesting experiences like that. I'm not, not that I'm great or anything, but a lot of stuff I learned by getting tested. You know, I did a gig for a while in Toledo where I was playing with a, a guy named Leon Cook. Fabulous guitar player. He used to play with, you know, Jimmy McGriff, the famous organist. And Leon had his band with his son, Tony Band, a percussionist who was Grammy-winning percussionist, who had been out with Ronnie Laws and people like that. I met Leon because I had seen him play at Fort Wayne with Carmen Stokes years before. But I met him because I did some gigs over there with Bob Green, and, and Leon came and sat in with us. So I get this call from him. He goes, hey, man, I'm looking for a bass player. I got this gig over here in Toledo on Wednesday and Thursday nights. He said, I can't promise you a lot of money, man, but you learn some stuff and we'll play some good music. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, wow, this is Leon Cook. So I go over there and I walk in the door with my upright under my arm. And there's a guy sitting at the bar. Is at a famous club called Rusty's, which was on Jazz Row, was what they used to call it. 
the street. It was actually called T-Drove, but they had renamed it. So I, I walk in and this guy at the bar goes, he doesn't even turn. He just kind of sees me at the corner of his eye and goes, oh, you the bass, you the new bass player? I said, well, yeah, you know, Leon asked me to come and check it out. And he goes, yeah, last two guys lasted about a week. And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get on, a, you know, I get up there. And, oh, that's the other thing. Leon told me, he said, oh, yeah, man, you don't need to bring any music with you or anything like that. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm figuring they got all these charts and stuff for me. So we get up there and he goes, yeah, man, I, we don't need music on the bandstand. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we get up there and Leon's like playing guitar. It's fabulous guitar. But he's just kind of like messing around, like, you know, playing some, just some changes. And the piano player's just playing. I'm like, I lean up to the piano player and I go, hey, man, what are we going to play? And he goes, you know what I know. I'm like, Oh. Okay, I said, "Key, we gonna do this?" And he goes, hey, "You know what I know, man." So Leon starts and he takes off, and I can't remember what the first song was, but it was a song I happened to know, so I get through it, and he starts this other song, and I'm like, "What are we playing?" So I'm back there, you know, I'm playing real quiet, trying to figure this stuff out by ear, and Leon turns around and he. He's jerking his thumb up in there like, turn up, man, turn up, you know. <laughs> so I turn up, you know, I'm playing, I hear some wrong notes and I get quiet again. He turns around and goes, turn up, turn up, turn up. And so they're playing and then we, you know, we get through this and I'm like, I know like maybe 30% of what we're playing, you know, the rest of them like trying to figure this stuff out on the bandstand. And the break, so we get to the break and it's Seven Steps to Heaven, which I fortunately knew because it's a tough tune. And it's like, bop, 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 bop. Bum, bum, bum. So we play, we get to the second break, and I'm still struggling through these tunes. We get to the break song, it's like, bump, 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 bump. And, and, and we took, like, we had to play a four hour gig. So after the third break, the song's getting a little fast. So I go back the next night, and I'm, yeah, 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 man, come on, I'll play. So we play, and they play a bunch of other stuff I don't know, you know, and I'm fig- trying to figure this stuff out. But I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember this tune from last night, so I'm kind of getting there. So break songs getting faster and faster and faster, you know, each night. So I go back the next week and we play and we play the first set. And I'm kind of like familiar with most of this stuff. And we play and we do that. And then we get to the second break and seven steps to heaven is going, bup, 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 ba, da, 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 you know, just flying along. Mm-hmm. So we get, we come off the band, you know, we stop the break song and everybody in the band starts laughing. And his son, uh, Damon, who's this amazing drummer, looks at me and goes, yeah, you can play fast when you have to, can't you, like that. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> so then... So then we go back on the bandstand and Leon goes, hey, man, do you know uh, Teach Me Tonight? And I said, you know, I've never really played it, but I'm kind of familiar. And he tells me the changes. And then he tells me, well, one, and he starts telling me some stuff about harmony. But what he explained to me was like, this is the way we learn. He said, this is the way they used to do it. And he said, bet you know all of our songs now, don't you? And I was like, yeah. And he said, yeah, making you play loud and hear wrong notes really loud. You didn't hit him again the next time around. Oh my God. <laughs> like, no, I didn't. You know, That's like, like oh, that was wrong. And it might have been, maybe I hit a wrong note the next time, but it wouldn't be the same one. But I learned the entire repertoire on stage. That's how they taught me, taught it to me over th- basically over three nights. And just like, and nobody would tell me the names and stuff. They just started playing, you know? And after that, then he, he would say, um, I want to do this tune, and he say, hey, man, you know, it's like, you might say it's uh, 36251 and such and such a key. The bridge goes here on the two, like that. 
But until I got through that, no help. No, no help. <laughs> but and, but before she had another, oh. I had another teacher. You know, Kevin Parkarski is one of my bass teachers. But the guy who taught me a lot of jazz is a guy named David Johnson. I got an album, some albums here with him on. David was the uh, original guitar player for the OJs. He's from Cleveland, but he was he was Roy Ayers' bass player for a long time. And you okay. know, it's like I got the album Virgo Red. David's on it, and David was like. That Leon was mean. I mean, David cussed me out on stage, you know, one time because when he started teaching me stuff to play, you know, and this is before I played with Leon, he's like, he's like, tell me, hey man, this is, I want you to play this pattern when we play this chord. And so we were playing some stuff, and like he was showing me how to play blues the way he wanted it. So I got excited on the first gig we played. I started putting some stuff in it, and he was like, you know, I'm not going to use the words because this is a public dance, but it was like, hey, you know, MF, you know, play what I told you to play. What is that cowboy crap you playing? You know, and I'm just like, whoa, on stage, you know, and it's like all of a sudden it came back to me. So at the end of the gig, you know, it's like funny. He's on stage, and, you know, he tells us, because he, like, cuts me out in front of the, you know, the audience, and he goes, uh, you know why I get on my man and I'm so hard on him? He said, because I don't want him to be stupid like you people. (laughs) He's hardcore. Oh, but it was like, I learned so much from him. And it was like, he, you know. Yeah, now I feel like you guys were nice to me. Oh, well, you know, and then after, well, these guys were old old school. And it's like, so he, uh, afterwards, you know, when I could survive certain tests with him, he said, let me show you some stuff. So I remember he showed me um, a couple of things. He showed me some alternate changes to end a sentimental mood. And he showed me these alternate changes to play rhythm changes. And he goes like, hey man, I had to work hard to learn this. He said, I'm gonna tell you these, man, cause you earn them. He said, when you're on these gigs and you're playing over like Cleveland, Toledo, he said, they're gonna try to trip you up. So one night I'm playing with Leon. I hope you guys don't mind me tell you these stories. Awesome. So I'm playing with Leon and the piano, our piano player comes to me and goes, hey man, one of my buddies gonna sit in, man. He said, I think you like this guy. And I'm like, Okay, he said, yeah, man, he's great. He's a pretty good piano player. You probably like him. So we get on stage, and I think his first name is Jeff. He goes, so now I said, yeah, man, we got special guests. I think it's Mr. Jeff Hamilton from uh, Ray Brown's band. I'm like, oh, gosh, I got to play with a piano player that plays with Ray Brown. You got to be kidding me, you know? Yeah. So this dude is like, you know, everybody else, they like know each other. These guys are heavyweights. So this guy's kind of looking at me like, who is this? You know, because it's like that in circles. They don't know you. They want to see where where you're coming from. So we play in the cinema with a movie. Sure enough, this dude breaks into these alternate changes. Like, I got him because David had told me, you know. <laughs> so it was like, he said you. He kind of looked at me. It's like, <laughs> guy was like, okay, you know. And then after that, you know, this guy was, t- you know, he was telling me stuff, you know, because. Um, he knew that apparently somebody had showed me something, so he... Yeah, you know, somebody he, believed in you. Yeah, he said, you know, so he he told me some stuff, you know. It's like, that happened, you know, I've met guys in other places. You know, I'm not, not that I'm great, but I'm, I'm a good listener when it comes to that stuff. And I've been around some new guys that have been hardcore, you know. You're a really good teacher, though. You don't just listen. You're like a conduit. I mean, you're always, that's, I know you said it's a joke, but that's why we call you the professor, because there isn't a gig I play with you that I'm not learning something for you. Or you're not teaching somebody else something on the bandstand something. So like all this stuff you've learned, you teach really well. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, guys cool. guys do that. You know, guys have done that for me. Guys still do that. You know, it's like fun. I hear it's somebody do fun. something and, you know, I'm like, hey, man, you know, it's like when I have time, 
You know, I don't play guitar all the time, but I go take lessons with Ken Yaley, who's just this amazing. He's good. Yeah. You know, I, I consult Kevin about stuff. Just this guy's here that in other places, you know, I, I'll ask. I learned about how to use diminished chords in a progression, like how to, you know, from a half diminished to a diminished instead of a two and a five from a guy I met on a gig in South Bend who happened to play with, I guess I think it's something like some Canadian National Jazz Orchestra. It was his trumpet player was on this gig. And, you know, I was just listening to this guy talk. And he, he I guess he could tell I was like absorbed with this. So, uh, no, actually he taught, another guy taught me this, but this guy sat me down and showed me how to, do a jazz harmony in six chords instead of seven chords and set me down at a piano. I'm not a piano player, but show me something on piano where like you harmonize the major scale with a six chord and a diminished chord. Every other chord is the same diminished chord. And that's where the bebop scale was derived from. And this guy showed me how that worked. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, because I'm always curious. I hear people do, hey, man, you know, what did you do there? What, what was that? What did you go to? You know? You're like this. I used to ask Streeter what you guys just did on the bandstand. One of these first gigs when I got to know you and you were teaching me. And I'd ask, I'd look over at Dave and be like, what was it you guys just play? Or what were you, you talking to Joe, the pastor at this church? And he'd be like, oh, it's just jazz. You just play what you feel. a <laughs> <laughs> well, dollar for every time he said that. And then he'd explain it. He'd go on to explain yeah, it. Well, you, you, know the, you know the joke behind that statement? It's from a movie, isn't it? It's, I used to get so pissed uh, at him, though. There's a, there's a, a documentary about about Branford Marcellus. Okay. I think it's called The Music Tells. Or it's Bloom. Remember the album Bloomington that he put out? Yeah. So there's this scene in there when he's talking about that and he was like talking about this, some movie that was made probably in the 40s or 50s. And, and I guess somebody goes, What is that music you guys playing? The guy says, Oh, it's jazz. And he goes, How do you play that there jazz? And he goes, You just play what you feel. <laughs> so they was like quoting that movie, you know. Uh, Every gig. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get that out in the next gig we do with him. Oh, it's funny. Oh, that man. he'd make fun of me too. You know, literally every time we play the last closing hymn of that jazz service, I love that jazz service. So that was cool. I miss that. I miss Joe too. But I would actually write my blues out in the key because I always knew you guys would go into a blues after the hymn. That's how that's how little I knew when we started all this stuff like eleven years you ago. You were just playing what you felt. No, I'm like <laughs> I better write these blues changes out, or I'm gonna forget them. Remember, you show me like the extra changes. Yeah, in there. Yes. God, those were fun. But you know, it's You're a it's good teacher. that's how we all you know that's really how yeah. we all learn and, and, and it's like I, I tell my students you know I can sit here and you can practice at home but trust me we on the bandstand is different and that's when you really learn because the biggest thing I've, I've learned I think from playing is like how to cover my mistakes yeah, <laughs> you know course, absolutely. how to improvise yeah. and how to like oh okay you know this didn't work so how do I get out of it that's a big skill as an improviser I mean because you can there are guys that, you know, you can play, there's a level of improvisation, and I, and I do it. I'm like, not the greatest in the world at that, but there's a level where you play the stuff you know, but then there's a level where you take these risks, and if you're going to take yeah. those risks, I do it. When Joe Daly was here, and uh, Dave and uh, Jim Steele and I, he invited us to play with his, his trio, Joe's his stuff is a lot of it is very free, so, and he also writes some very composed music, like uh, Ballad of a Fallen African Warrior, which is just brilliant. But Joe sent us these charts, and 
One of them, two of them had these licks that were just like really tough licks. And that matter of fact, it's all he sent us. So I'm like, oh, let me learn how to play this stuff on upright. So when he gets there, he says, yeah, we'll get together and we'll have a kind of a rehearsal. And so he heard me over there playing like, he said, oh man, you can play that lick? And I was like, yeah, I worked on it. He goes, oh man, all you got to do is pedal an F on that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, he said, well, since you can play it, you know, That's at one so point, the last time around, why don't you come down and play it? But what he handed us was almost like computer flow charts, you know, logic charts. Yeah. And what he had created was like one of them was a tone roll. Oh, cool. And it was a tone roll with three chordal stations in it. And his instruction to us was like, we're going to play this tone roll. You can play it at any tempo with any feel you want, but you have to treat it like a tone roll, which means you go all the way through it before you start it over again. Uh, you can use any durations you want, any rhythms you want. But when you hear me play this chord, we stop at this chordal station and we improvise. And then we go on. Wherever you add in the tone roll, we get to this chordal station, we stop. Hey, explain to the listener what a tone roll is, because they might not uh, know. You know, tone roll is like... Uh, and we're going to talk about it in terms, of, I guess, what you call serialism. is like where there are 12 uh, chromatic pitches. So it's a collection of pitches. Right. You know, so like it's not do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. It's like the notes in between to yep. it. So there are 12 of them. And in a tone roll is like where you take and you can take these pitches and you arrange them. But with the way we were using them, it's like you have to use all 12 pitches before you start to repeat any. Yeah. Uh, it can be uh, yeah, probably with Schoenberg. Uh, was the person who really pioneered that, you know. Um, That's cool that he was using in the, with the element of jazz, though. Right, right. That's really awesome. So, so we use that. Um, and then we used, like, those lines that he had us do. Those lines were like anchors for some free improvisation. And at the end of it, the only thing that we did that was really totally written out, and we did it kind of freely. He had written a piece and for his wife, Ruth Joseph, who had passed away a few years before. She had heard him practicing a piece called Ode to Life. Gosh, pianist, it'll come to Don Pullen, a Don Pullen piece called Ode to Life, which is incredibly beautiful. And so he did this piece where he played this original composition that was dedicated to his wife. And then we finish by playing Ode to Life. Beautiful. Just wow. But then the next set, he said, you know what? I didn't even realize we were going to play another set. But he said, here's what we're going to do. He said, I'm not going to tell these guys what to play. I'm not going to give them any instructions. He said, we're just going to listen to each other. And we're going to create something new for you. We went all cold right concert here. on you. Yeah. And that's what we did. I mean, it was, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was just a beautiful piece of music. Uh, Joe, who plays tuba and euphonium and stuff, but he played these African flutes. He played the balafone. Warren is just incredible percussionist because normally when they play, they use bass marimba. He plays bass marimba. But he also plays vibes. He plays drums. He's got gongs and things. And Scott can do things with woodwinds that you go like, no, no, that's impossible. That's not, that's not a saxophone. Wow. And so these guys just created this environment for us to, li and to live in. And that's why I say music is, is, is a metaphor to me because what Joe, Joseph Daly was, was telling me, essentially what he was saying to us is like, let's have a conversation, but let's do it with music. So you don't know what I'm going to say to you. You know, I might start with hello and you need to respond in kind. So you need to respond in context. And that's what he had us do in a musical sense was like, you hear what's going on around you and, and respond in context. You know, don't just play whatever you want to play. 
play what the environment is telling you to do, and that's what we did for the people. You were being good music conversationalists. Yes. That's cool. So we're, we're coming up on time. We actually were over time here, okay. so I hate to cut this short. Ask him oh, one right. more question, yeah, I was going to say we got to really finish up here with a couple okay. more questions. When I mean, we can listen to Mike talk all night. In fact, I recommend that come out to Club Soda one night or something. Absolutely. Just get him a drink and sit there and listen. You had mentioned at our house was something about Joe helping influence some of the music that you're going to be sharing with everyone next month, and that was one question I wanted to ask you too, and then I won't ask anymore what my influences were for it was he is he one of your influences or was he help mentoring you on some of your music that you're going to share with the love supreme you know in talking to uh joseph Dan, i sent him some of my compositions after i met him and yeah he said hey i'm gonna work with you on some of this stuff because he thought conceptually they were sound tell us a little bit about what you're you're going to share next month you don't have to go in detail but all right i'm in a group called the love supreme ensemble and the reason it's called that is we originally our first gig we got together we played a gig at turner chapel ame church and we reconstructed John Coltrane's A Love Supreme Suite with our, you know, with our own flavor to it. One, and K2 wanted us to open the series because he really liked that ensemble. So when we got together, we decided we would play a different Coltrane piece. We, we pay, played Ascension, which is kind of challenging, but we played that, but we also played a lot of our own music. Jim Steele writes a lot of our material, and I wrote part of it. Dave Streeter came up with some interesting stuff that he got from folks for us to play. And, you know, we did this, but this time... Quincy wants us to play India. We might play it, but I don't know. Uh, we may play all of our own stuff. Jim has written, will do a lot of his material. I wrote probably eight pieces specifically for this. I'm thinking that we'll probably only maybe play four of what I actually wrote. I liked a lot of them that you had me take a listen to. And We're peddling you right now, trying to get people out to your yeah, concert. Thanks. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, Ed Rents, who's joined us, to, uh, we needed to augment the ensemble because after playing with Joseph Daly, I heard, you know, I mean, I like bass clan that anyway, but I was hearing deep stuff in the wood in the wind section so i'd written when i composed this stuff i wrote a lot of it for flute and bass clarinet and dave plays bass clarinet saxophone flute native american flute everything everything yeah, and this is dave streeter streeter yeah. but quincy quincy only plays saxophone so it was kind of like okay some of this stuff i need a flute and a bass clarinet and dave goes hey man I like to do this stuff with flute and bass clarinet. He said, why don't you call Ed Renz? Yeah. So I called up Ed and Ed said, yeah, man, I'll be glad because he said, he, and, you know, Ed said he loves bass clarinet and he doesn't get to play it much. And so he's going to do a lot of that when Dave's playing flute. And then I asked Ed if he would, because I've played some of Ed's original stuff in the past, and I asked Ed if he would bring some of his compositions. So he what said, a lineup. Ed Renz, David Streeter. Quincy, Quincy Sanders, Jamie Simon, Jim Steele. And you. Yeah. So what do people do if they want to? Listen to some of this. How do they get tickets for the show? I know that K2 posted on Eventbrite. It's the second Sunday in July, which would, that would be, is it the 8th or something like that? Yeah, July 8th. Is that, the, is that how the series works? Is it the second, second Sunday? Sunday? Unfortunately, it runs into the, yeah, the okay. jam session. You that's know. That shows how rich our culture is. It, is, it really is. And that's another thing. People you can change that too, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we can you know, make that change for you. But I think it's great that you can find so many things to do now. You know, I mean, anybody tells me they're bored there's no music. I'm like, get real. What time you know? is yours? Ours is five uh, to eight. Well, first set set starts at five fifteen. Okay, I can probably make it a second set. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. come out to HD two at five. Leave it about six thirty. <laughs> I don't know. There's might be worth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of feel like, oh man, I want to be out there too. You know, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, that's that's. That's what we're doing. Thanks for sharing about that because I know you had shared some of the files with me and then you had said about Joe influencing some of your writing. Yeah, he did. I mean, that's why I did a lot of lower end stuff. I haven't gotten up the nerve to write a tuba piece and say, Joe, I wrote this (laughs) for you, you know. 
But I, but I, I mean, heard the counterpoint, that. and I was like, "Hey, I didn't know you wrote with counterpoint." I, you know, so it's, it's cool. And it's a little interesting because I have a you know I got my own system for doing that. I mean, I understand. So I had to, of course, I had to write corrals and things yeah. like that at one point. And I was gonna study with uh, Chris Wukowski, and, and oh you know, yeah, I was, I was gonna. Me too. Chris was like, "Hey man," he goes, uh, "I think you have a handle on what you want to do." He says, "You write something and you have a problem. Call me. We'll sit down and talk about. It. I hope you solve the He's problem." He's a good buddy. composition teacher. He oh helped me gosh, assemble yeah. my album. Yeah, and he just like he just said no. He said, "Why don't you write and then we'll work with what you've written and I'll help you solve the problem." So I'm real He's thankful for Chris nuggets. doing that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> nuggets of wisdom. I, I, I hate to do this, guys, but let's call it end of the show. Oh, Mike, man. where can we find you? Are you're on Facebook? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, I, Instagram. I, if someone's interested in hearing uh, some of this stuff, or I see on Snapchat. I should get on Instagram. I, think <laughs> I, I, I tag am, you all the time on I, Instagram. Yeah, but I, I forget how to get in my Instagram account. I can do that. Oh my god! But anyway, now I was that. Same way for like but, nine months. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I have, we have about 25 tags in the last shows we've done. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for your time. Oh, well, and thank you guys. Oh. By the way, you know, I think what you guys are doing is just absolutely marvelous. Thank you. Uh, I've been having this conversation. I've been telling people about you guys' endeavors to really to promote a platform. Yeah. yeah, promote local music because we got some great stuff happening here. And I'm glad that we're attracting a lot of national stuff, but I'd hate to see it, at, you know, at the detriment of the rich local music culture. So. Best kept secrets. Secrets no more, thanks to Pops Elevates. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> thanks everyone. If you want to subscribe, you can do it on iTunes or you can go down and we have a little form submission down there. Just type in your email and we'll send you the newsletter and you won't miss an episode. And in the meantime, play what you feel. <laughs> 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 See you next time. <laughs>